Mm. Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you want to say to each of us this morning, Lord. I pray, take, Father, take these words and translate them in a language that each of us will understand, God, that when we walk out of here today, Father, we'd be more, God, more impressed with who you are, less impressed, I guess, with the world and what it has to offer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We've been we've been on a bit of a we've got a few guests here so just fill you in I won't go over it, but we've been on a bit of a journey Psalm one hundred three David wrote this really fantastic psalm you'll find it in this book this book that we call a Bible uh, I don't like that term I don't like calling it a Bible because we call it a Bible it sounds like it's just a book and we know the Bible is the biggest selling book of all time it's not a book it's a collection of ancient manuscripts that have been around for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, written from dungeons and palaces and forests and so on by people that were of high um, social standing and low social standing and then compiled, compiled, all found and put together and we bound them together. Jerome, I think it was, an early church guy bound all these documents together and we call them the Bible and it's great that when I came to church this morning I brought one book who said that's fantastic because otherwise you'd be carrying 64 parchments, documents under your arm and uh, that would be a pain. So it's good that they're bound together in this book that we call the Bible, but at the same time, I find it very sad that now we just call it the Bible and we, we say Bible like we say Northern Star or you know the latest uh, novel or whatever it is, whereas you know, the, this, I believe, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, the one that, that created the universe, the one that made the mountains, the oceans, and so on. It's not just a book, and I don't want to just approach it like I would approach my favourite novel because there's something different about this book. Uh, something different about these collections of writings. They're pointing to something and they're pointing through something. And that something was the life and times of this man called Jesus Christ. And then it points through that to what does life look like on the other side of Jesus for those of us though, who have embraced him and so on. So we've been looking a little bit at, uh, I guess, the other side. What does it look like? What should life look like for those of us that have embraced the sacrifice of Jesus uh, having believed that he died on the cross for our sins and handed our life over to him and chosen day by day to live for him for the remainder of our drop in the bucket called existence time here on earth, which is here today, gone tomorrow, it happens so quick. But what should life look like for us? David in Psalm 103 makes this interesting statement. He speaks to himself. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's stirring himself up. Whatever's going on, we don't know. But he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then he tells himself to do something. He says, self... Don't forget the benefits of following God. Don't forget the benefits of God. And then he goes on, he lists these beautiful benefits who, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction. So he goes on a journey. So we've been, we spent quite a few weeks now, we've been looking at uh, these benefits of God. Reason being this, I want us to understand that as Christians, as those of us that have given our life to Jesus, been filled with the Spirit of God, as this is what the book teaches, that when we hand our life over to him, that he fills us with his Spirit, that life should be different. That we have access to a supernatural uh, power through a supernatural God. We didn't come to the Christian philosophy. I didn't give my life to the Christian way of life. You know, I didn't give my life to pages in a book. 
I gave my life when I was 19 years of age and depressed and struggling and not knowing what the next day would hold and trying to deaden the pain and the disappointment, the loneliness and the self-rejection and the hatred with all kinds of things and so on. At that point, I gave my life to a person. I gave my life to Jesus. And something happened in my life and my life was transformed it was radically changed. I, I, I pick up this book and I read in this book and I see in the pages of the book, it explains back to me some of those things that happened. I was taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into a kingdom of light, the Bible says in Colossians. It says in Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. So if that's true, then that tells me something It tells me this at a very basic level. What I was before I came to Christ, I'm not anymore. What I used to be, I no longer am. What I am now is different to what I once was. I'm filled with the Spirit of God, therefore life is different. And David's reminding himself, maybe at this point in time, David forgetting that. Maybe David's thinking, I'm down, I'm out, I'm struggling. The weight of the world is upon me. I can't pay my bills. Uh, My body is battered and bruised. There's no way out. I feel uh, guilty for this mistake I made. I feel like I'll never get over that. People don't like me, so on. He goes, hang on, hang on, hang on. Pull up the horses here. David, remember a couple of things. Remember a couple of things. The God you serve forgives every iniquity you've ever done. It's all forgiven. He wiped it all away. Come on, David, stir yourself up. The God you follow has the power to heal diseases and sicknesses. God, David, stir yourself up. The God you follow can take that life that you think had no purpose and meaning. He can redeem it and make something wonderful and beautiful out of it. Come on, David, wake yourself up. Don't go down this hopelessness path. You've got God with you. You're full of hope. You're full of hope. And he stirs himself up. And so we've been going down that bit of a journey for this very reason. We need to understand, excuse me. We need to understand that we don't follow the Christian religion. We didn't come to the Christian faith. Jesus didn't walk the earth and say, come to the disciples. He didn't say to Matthew, uh, you know, drop your nets and come follow the Christian faith. He didn't say, stop doing what you're doing. He didn't call the disciples and say, come follow my philosophies. Come follow my religion. Come follow my way of life. He said, come follow me. Come follow Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, the very first verse, it says, the former account, the guy that wrote it, Luke, he also wrote the book of Luke. And then he writes a second volume, which we term in here called the book of Acts. And he says right at the beginning, this is after Jesus is killed, crucified, risen. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of of all that Jesus began to do and teach. He didn't say of all that Jesus did and taught, full stop, it's over. He said Jesus began to do things, he began to teach things. In other words, he's still doing things, he's still teaching things. What is he doing and what is he teaching? How is he doing it and how is he teaching it? He's doing it through you and me, his church. That's the message of the New Testament. That's exciting. That's exciting. I woke up this morning and when I woke up this morning, you know what? When I put my feet on the ground, it was almost like God put his feet on the ground. I'm not God. But the Spirit of God inside me comes about with me. Where I go, I take God. That's the teaching of the Bible. Where I go, I take the very presence and Spirit of God with me into those environments. You take God to work with you. Have you ever thought about that? You take God to work with you. You take God to school with you. 
You take God, you take God everywhere you go. Some people are going, oh, I didn't think of that. Jeez, I don't think God would want to go there. <laughs> I better stop going there. I'm taking God with me. <laughs> what I'm listening to, I'm being, using my God ears and going, yeah, tell me that, yeah. Oh. You mean when I sat down and listened to all that gossip about those people and, and fold myself in it, that was God, yeah. <laughs> you mean when I was looking at that stuff, it was, yeah. God doesn't pop in and out. Check in and out like a yo-yo. Spirit in, spirit out, spirit in, spirit out, spirit in, spirit. No, no. It's not like that in the new agreement between God and man, which we call the New Testament, the New Covenant. It's not like that. So we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the fact that it's different for us. And it is. We have God for us, not against us. We have power available to us. Power that goes beyond this see, taste, touch, feel, smell world that we find ourselves inhabiting for such a short space of time. There's power available to us. And I want to kind of just bring full circle this, this second part of what we've been talking about. We've dealt with um, forgives all our iniquities. We've spent a few weeks on that. Now we've been talking about healing excuse me, all diseases. I don't want to go over it. Uh, we have a, a, a podcast on iTunes. You can go back and you can listen to, to some previous uh, messages and join the dots. But I want to kind of wrap that, that whole thing up today by taking us back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and just sit there. Um, I asked you to go there three weeks ago. Who remembers that? So it shouldn't take you long to find. I said go there three weeks ago and then I didn't preach out of it. So you should already be there. I've given you three weeks notice. Come on, people. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2. I was reading uh, Judges chapter 6 uh, yesterday, uh, the story of Gideon. I love Gideon. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, one of my favorite characters. I just love Gideon. But what's interesting is in Judges chapter 6, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, there's this story. And, and oh, wow, Luke, you are all over it. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, not Oprah, Winfrey, Ophrah which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. Now, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, imagine that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if an angel of God appeared to you, looked at you in the eye and went, You mighty man of valor. I'd just go, You're on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and while you're on it, would you mind telling my wife that? Because she thinks... Oh, You mighty man of valor. Now what's his response? Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? If God is with us, why are we still feeling oppressed? Why are we still under the rule of a foreign nation? If God is with us, why is life so difficult? Why am I in a wine press? You don't thresh wheat. You know, they, when they thresh wheat, they would, you put the pitchfork in, you throw it in the air, and the wind would come and it would blow away the bad stuff and the good wheat would fall. And they would separate the chaff and all that stuff. That's what they would do. So here's Gideon in a wine press, which is a hole in the ground, doing it. He's in a hole in the ground, and this angel appears and says, you mighty man of valor. Tilt, tilt. But this is what the angel said. It's interesting because God definitely sees us different the way we see ourselves. And I like his version of me better than my version of me. So I'm going to try to work hard to agree with his version of me because his version of me is a lot better. He says, Lord, 
if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles? I like this question. Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now God must have forsaken us. You've delivered us into the hands of Midian. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if God's for us, why are we so powerless? If God is for us, why are we so disdained? If God is for us, why are we so frowned upon? If God is for us, why are we so... Uh, unappreciated. So, what's the word where you got no influence? What's that word? Loser. Jackie said loser. That's Hebrew for the same thing I'm getting at. Loose hair. This is the feminine version of loose he. Um, why are we so insignificant? That's what he's saying. If God is with us, why are we so insignificant? And where are all the miracles that God did? And what did those miracles do? They set us free. So why are we so insignificant? Where's the freedom that God brings to the people? Reverse the question, and he's saying this. If God's power was present and we were being set free, we wouldn't be so insignificant. We wouldn't be in this position. Because when God was moving amongst us as a nation, guess what? We were, up, we were on top. When God moved amongst us as a people, we were growing and we were being set free and we were becoming more and more human. We were becoming more and more influential. We were able to see more change, more stuff happen. This is what he's saying. He's making a connection between... Where we are now, and the powerlessness we feel, and he's saying, but God, if you would turn up and you would do the stuff that you do, we wouldn't be oppressed by these people because we would be operating in a power beyond this natural world and they would be looking at us differently. We would have authority and power. Things would be fleeing. They would be going. Things would be being changed, being moved. I think it's a really, really good question. And it's a challenging question. And I ask that question to myself. Where is the power of God evidenced in my life? I know it is. I know God is transforming me and changing me. I'm not talking about that. But I feel like Gideon sometimes. God, where are all the miracles? I mean, I read this book called Acts, this ancient manuscript written by a man called Luke. And he gives us the first 30 years of the history of this movement that you and I are a part of right now. Where the church is not an organization. We're a movement. We're a movement that started in the Middle East. Many, many years ago, long time ago now, with 12 backwards Galilean hillbilly type guys. That's what they were. They were not the brainiacs, the smartest. And from that movement, we're sitting here today. And for the first 30 years of the life of that movement, I see God moving in great power. And I'm not just talking about inside the walls of a church. I'm talking about out there in the supermarkets, in the workplace, in the community, in the schools. God doing amazing things through normal, average, everyday people. The foundation of our movement is a supernatural foundation. I don't always like it. I don't always understand it. But I'm going to either take my cues from my own experience and what I understand or what I think, or am I going to take it from this ancient manuscript that was compiled by the Holy Spirit over a period of 1,600 years and preserved and kept intact so that I could have it today to read and to look at 
and to understand God and to understand myself and to understand this movement I'm a part of. Our movement is a supernatural movement. It's very foundations. And I feel a little bit like Gideon sometimes. I want to cry out and say, well, God, if you're really with us, why are we so ridiculed in the media? God, if you're really with us, why are we so put down? God, if you're really with us, why are numbers of attendance in church generally in the West declining? God, if you're really with us, if you're really with us, if you're really, and then I want to double that up by going, God, if you would just turn up in power. God, if you would start again doing the things that we read about here. God, I know they happen overseas. I've been, I've seen hundreds of healings, physical healings, hundreds of supernatural things. But here I am in Ganella, but I don't care about what's happened in the past. I don't care about what happened back then. What I care about is right now in the year 2019, God, what are you doing in my community? Lord, what are you doing in my workplace? What are you doing in our schools? God, what are you doing in the shopping centers? What are you doing in the hospitals? God, what are you doing? Where are the miracles of our fathers? And if somebody can find a use-by date on miracles in that book, you're theologically smarter than me, come and prove it to me. Come and show me and I will change my belief system. I'll change my belief structure. But other than that, I won't because I gave my life to a man called Jesus when I was 19 years of age and I'm going to believe what he says over anything you say or I think. And I don't see anywhere in that book where the power of God should not be in operation today in my life, through my life, in your life, through your life. But if I'm brutally honest, I'm going, well, where is it, God? I... I, I I'm not seeing what I once saw. It's an interesting question. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul makes this statement. He says, And I, brothers, when I came to you, this is Paul, the great apostle of the faith. Paul was a man who once upon a time was called Saul. You can go back and read a bit of his life in the book of Acts. His name was Saul. He was, was fighting his way up the Jewish chain of command. He, he knew this book, if you want to use, call it a book, he knew the Bible better than just about anybody in his day. He'd studied it. He knew exactly what it said. Yet Jesus came, he missed it. And you know what he did? He went about, and the Bible tells us that he was a persecutor of Christians. I'm not talking about walking up to people going, you're a Jesus freak, no, 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 no. He was putting them in prison. He was having them murdered, dragged away, men, women, children. This is a violent hater of God and a violent hater of God's people, those that followed God. He has this amazing encounter with God. He's on his way to a city to take more believers and have them imprisoned and killed. And he has this amazing encounter with God, transforms his life. Later on in life, this guy allows himself, allows himself to be killed in Rome. He gives his life physically. I'm not just talking about some fear. I'm talking about an actual flesh, flesh and blood man called Paul who actually died, documented not just in this book. You'll find other documents outside of this Bible that verify these things. Killed for his faith. What happened in that man's life that would take someone who was a violent persecutor of the church to that place? It wasn't knowledge because he had all the knowledge in the world before that moment. But he had an encounter with God. Something of the power of God got on him and it changed his life forever. And from that point on, in the midst of persecution, ridicule and so on, mate, this guy just charged and he paved the way and he started planting churches and he gave us two-thirds of, of what we call the New Testament now, the new agreement between God and man. Two-thirds of that was written by him as the Holy Spirit spoke to him, flowed through him, and we have it here compiled in this book. What changed his life was not a bunch of knowledge. What changed his life was not a charismatic speaker, a great big worship band, flashing lights or a smoke machine. What changed his life was an actual encounter with the power of God. And I look at, read that, and I, 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 I'll bear my heart a little bit with you this morning. I look around at the church world, and I feel like Gideon 
feel like, God, where is the power of God? Because I'm not smart enough to convince these people out there how good you are and how wonderful you are. I'm just not smart enough. I'm not perfect and holy enough to, to live the kind of life before them that makes them look and go, that's an exact replica of who God is. I'm on my way, I'm a work in progress, but I'm just not perfect enough yet. And if I know anything about God and I know anything about me, I'll probably die imperfect. I'll probably still be a work in progress right at the very end. Isn't that the beautiful gospel story? None of us are ever going to get there by our own efforts and our own works anyway. We'll get better and better and better, but none of us are ever going to arrive at a point where we go, I don't actually need the cross anymore because I've made it. Which means every single one of us are going to die works in progress. Every one of us are going to die not good enough for God. So none of us are ever on this earth going to reflect who God is perfectly to the world around us. We need the power of God in our lives. We need the power of God flowing through us and we need the power of God to transform us and then to use us to reach out to the world around us. Paul, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Watch this. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. I wasn't trying to dazzle you with my intellect. He says, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And here's what I want you to see. That your faith should, be, should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Where should your faith be? He says, if your faith is in the power of God, nothing will change. If your faith is in the power of God, you are standing on a good foundation. Things will happen, good, bad, indifferent, otherwise. You'll have successes, failures. You'll be up, you'll be down. But if you are standing and your faith is in a God that has supernatural power, a God that supernaturally intervenes in the affairs of humanity, if your faith is in that place, you'll go a long way. If your faith is in the wisdom of men, it will crumble at some point. Now, here's the dilemma we're faced with in the church today. What do you do when you realize you don't really have much power happening at the moment? What do you do? I'm, just, I'm, I'm talking very openly and honestly to you. For the visitors that are here today, this wasn't planned, but you just happened to rock. What do you do when you, when you wake up and you look around and you go, well, well you know what, we're probably the opposite to Paul. Probably got intelligent speech and superior wisdom and so on. It's like the, 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 the Peter and John at the temple gate with the man that's begging. And they walk past him. And for some reason, on a particular day, they look at him and they go, silver and gold, we don't have. What we have, we give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Fast forward to the year 2019 in the Western Church. We walk up there, we go, silver and gold, we got tons of it and we're raising a lot more. But here's a check. Maybe, I don't know. I'd rather have get up and walk than silver and gold. I'd rather walk up to somebody and pray for them and see God move and do something amazing and see God get glory and that testimony fly throughout my community than just walk up with a check and go, oh, this will meet your need. I'm not saying we shouldn't give to people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be generous. I'm not saying we shouldn't write our checks. We should look after the poor. I'm not saying any of that. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. None of that becomes a substitute for lack of the power of God. But here's the dilemma we find. What do you do when you wake up and you realize, I'm not seeing the power of God move like I see testified to in this book. I don't feel like God's moving that way. What do you do? Here's the dilemma. You do one of two things. You either go, right, yeah, we've got to get better worship. We've got to get better worship. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, um, can you get your wife, Taryn? She's got a beautiful voice. Can you get Taryn to come? And uh, we're going to get to end. Uh, anybody else? We're going to have a guitar off. Whoever plays guitar the best, you'll get, you'll, you'll get a Guernsey. You'll get the start for us and so on. 
I'm going to go around and I'm going to, I want to find the most charismatic speakers I can. Because if I can get a really charismatic speaker to come and stand here, boy, people will come because they love hearing charismatic speakers. Let's get a really charismatic speaker and he can do that, which we can't seem to get the power of God to do right now, and we'll get a charismatic speaker. Let's get, Luke, your lights, I like your lights, but you can do better than that, come on. If we really want to get young kids in here, we've got to get them lights pumping a bit more. Boy, I want, I want, I want big bass speakers, oh, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. I want a smoke machine. Matter of fact, when I come out next week on Sunday, here's what I want. I want to glide out like this with a robe and a smoke machine. I want a thing to lift me above everybody. And I'm going to go, hey, oh, Jesus. I'll do anything. Because if I haven't got the power of God here, I've got to make up something. I've got to do something to get people to come. Maybe that's one option. See, what Paul's speaking to here is something that was going on in the culture of the world at the time. There was this thing called the Ithmian Games. Anyone ever heard of the Ithmian Games? Ithmian Games was like the equivalent to the Olympics. It was a smaller version of the Olympic Games. So the Olympic Games were every four years, every off second year. The Ithmian Games were on. Ithmian Games were held in Corinth and they were very prestigious. The Ithmian Games had athletics, all kinds of things. But one of the most prestigious events in the Ithmian Games was what's, what they called the oratory. People flapping their gums. This is true. You can look this up. Go home, type in Ithamian Games. And the oratory was one of the events. Now, here's the thing about the oratory in the Ithamian Games. It didn't matter what you spoke about. Because you weren't judged on content. You were judged on presentation. Didn't matter what you talk about. Guys would get up in the Ithamian Games and they would say, oh, today I shall talk about a piece of hair on a bar of soap. Oh, the wonderful hair blowing in the breeze, 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 breezy, breezy hair on the soap. And they would wax eloquently for an hour about a piece of hair on a bar of soap. And everyone would go, oh, that's amazing. Oh, wow, fantastic, yes. And the next guy would come up and he would wax eloquent about a, you know, a shoelace or a frog that he saw with a cross-eyed, cross-eyed frog or something. I don't know. But they didn't matter. The point is this, it didn't matter what they had to say. It was about the presentation and being charismatic and dazzling the audience. That's what it was about. And at the end of it, they did all that to get a wreath. A piece of vine wrapped up that was dried out. They put it on the head and went, yes, I'm the best waxer eloquence of hair on soap in the world. But there was big endorsements and things that came from that as well, if you won the oratory. This was a big deal. This is exactly what Paul's speaking to here. He goes, when I came to you guys at Corinth, I didn't come to try to wow you or try to win you with the latest charismatic thing. In other words, I didn't go to whatever was big in your culture and say, oh, I'm going I'm to do what works in your culture and I'm going to use the same stuff and I'm going to win you to Jesus by just taking my cues from the culture around me. He said, I'm going to take my cues from the very presence of the living God that lives inside me. A God who is not a philosophy. A God who is big enough and real enough to reveal himself to you. That's where I'm going to go. Does that sound familiar? I don't want to tread on toes. I don't mean to tread on anyone's toes. But if I put a church that has all the bells and whistles and is taking its cues from culture alongside of a church that is just free to allow the power of God to move... And I put them side by side. I I hate to say, if I'm brutally honest, my own church probably looks more like that one. (laughs) It's the truth. I wish it looked more like this one. But we're probably more like that one. It's my own church. (laughs) Don't listen to me. I've got nothing. 
Paul said, I'm not interested in that. Because he said, if the power of God gets on you, the power of a risen Jesus, a living God, if you feel the presence of this God of heaven, if you can feel his love, get a taste and see that he's good. That'll transform your life. and It'll keep you in the kingdom. You know, I go to pastor seminars and preaching seminars, have done for years and years and years. You know what I get sick of hearing? Sunday morning, my job, my job up here Sunday morning is to motivate you to follow God. I don't want to motivate you to follow God. If, if God is not enough for you, if your encounter with God is not that real, if I've got to prop you up every seven days, if that's why you're here, just to get a, a nudge along, then there's something fundamentally wrong with what we're doing. Now, if it was just a philosophy I kept espousing to you to try to get you to keep thinking like me, then yeah. It's the way the world works. It's the way advertising works. We'll keep giving you things to think about so you keep buying our products. And Paul's going, I don't want to take my cues from culture. That's not what I'm here for. Because then your faith rests in all these other things. He says, let's keep this very simple. Jesus Christ crucified. Buried, put in a tomb. Three days later, rose from the dead and is alive ever since. Has been healing the sick ever since. Raising the dead ever since. Forgiving sins ever since. Giving hope to the hopeless ever since. Opening eyes of the blind ever since. And ever since continues. It's still happening now. We'll continue. The wisdom of man can't heal all sicknesses and diseases, but God has the potential, his power to do that. The wisdom of man can't break all addictions, but the power of the Holy Spirit can break addiction in people's lives. The wisdom of man can't restore all broken relationships. It can't give you a hope and a future. Jeez, if you're looking at the wisdom of man for a hope and a future, the world's going to burn. We're all going to crash in about 20 years, aren't we? Isn't that what they're saying? 20 years, global warming, and it's irreversible now. We're all going to fry. <laughs> Yay, look forward to the future. At least we won't have cold snaps like we just had recently up here the hill. You know the worst part about it? The wisdom of man can't save a soul. I can't talk you into the kingdom. You agreeing mentally with a certain facts about a man called Jesus won't get you into the kingdom. You being emotionally stirred, walking up the front here crying with tears in your eyes because I played some nice music, your emotions won't get you into the kingdom. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying they're bad. Emotions are good. God gave them to us. He will use them. Your intellect is a great thing. God gave it to you. Please use it. Don't be a dummy. Don't be one of these Christians that checks their brain out at the door. I don't need my brain. I've got a faith. I just trust Jesus. (laughs) You know? He said lay on the train tracks. I'm just going to trust Jesus. Hang on a second. Wisdom of man can't save a soul. I want to see people's lives impacted. I want to see people changed. I want to see people challenged. There's an interesting story. I don't want to go there. Don't worry about going there. But in Acts chapter 26, I'll finish here and we'll get into these snags. Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting what happened when Jesus appeared to him. This man that was a radical killer of Christians and came across to our side. And here's what... Jesus said to him, he said, I'll deliver you from the Jewish people because the Jewish people wanted to kill him when he became a Christian. They loved him when he was one of them and then when he started saying, hang on a second, these guys have got got it right, we're actually wrong, they wanted to kill him. Can't please everybody, can you? 
See, I'll deliver you from the Jews and I'll also deliver you from the Gentiles. The Gentiles had all their own beliefs and he went into certain places and he messed up their foreign god businesses and they were making millions off idols and all sorts of stuff and he'd go in and say, look, let me tell you something about that, that wooden dog. It's a wooden dog. It's not God, sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you something about that cow you built over there. You know, the one you're all uh, worshipping and waving incense and cutting yourselves and dancing around. I just want to tell you something about that. That, that It's just a porcelain cow. Sorry. But let me tell you about a real God that you don't have to dance around, that you don't have to do things for. I want to tell you about a real God who's done something for you. And they didn't like it. And here's what he said. He said, I'll deliver you from those people to whom I now send you. And here's why I'm sending you. He said, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Watch this. And from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith, to turn them from the power of Satan to God. My intellect, my human abilities can't turn a person from the power of Satan. I need the power of God in my life. I need the power of God in my life. I want to cry out to God and say, Lord, God, I need you. There are no formulas. So if you're sitting there with your pen in hand going, okay, Alan, give me the six steps to getting the power of God. The six steps. Step one, step two. Because we've got steps to everything, don't we? Steps to financial prosperity, steps to healing, steps to everything. Hey, I can't give you any steps. I can give you a person. His name's Jesus. Acts 26, there's this story. And uh, what happens is Paul keep dancing around Paul today, don't we? It was unintentional. I'm just thinking now. Jesus, you're talking about Paul a lot. The Bible says that God did unusual miracles through Paul. Healed all sorts of people and so on. In Acts 26, there's a story of these seven guys, sons of a dude called Sceva, decide that we're going to go around and we're going to try to drag people from the power of Satan into the power of God. And so they went up to people and they basically said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, Be free. Well, they came across this dude that was really, really into the power of Satan. He looked up at him and he said, you know what, Paul we know, and Jesus we know, but who are you? And the Bible says that this dude pounced on them and beat them, and they ran out of town naked and bleeding. But what happened after that's really interesting. The Bible says that when the people heard about it, the believers, it says, those who had believed... When these guys heard what had happened, he says that fear fell upon them. It meant reverence. Not fear as in we're scared, biting our nails. It says that fear as in reverence came upon them. And then something happened in them. He says they started confessing their deeds. All of a sudden they went, wow, this is real. Power of God is real. Relationship with heaven is real. And the Bible says they started confessing their deeds one to another. You know what? I need you to pray. I've got to get something out in the light here. How do you expel darkness? The quickest way to expel darkness is turn on a light. You can stand there, scream, rebuke darkness, do all you want. But to my knowledge, the easiest way to make a room light is flick a switch and put light in there. Light takes care of darkness. Amen? Not saying we don't pray against the devil. Not saying we don't do warfare. I'm just saying turn on light and darkness tends to flee. Darkness reacts quicker to light than anything else. So they started confessing their deeds and bringing things out to the light. I've got this problem, got this issue, would you pray with me? 
I want to get rid of that foothold of the enemy. I want to clean myself out. I want to be honest. I want to be integrous. I want help. I need God to invade this space and do something. The other thing they did, the Bible says that they all went to their bookcases. They went through their bookcases and their music collections and their homes and they found all these things in there and they went, God wouldn't be really into that. That's not really what God's into. That's not what God's really into. That's not what God's really into. The Bible says they had a bonfire. You read it, Acts 26. It says they took all these amulets and all these witchcraft books and foreign religion books and foreign religious idols and all this stuff and they took it to a place in the city and they burned it. It even tells you the total of what they burned. It was over a million dollars in today's currency, over a million dollars worth of trinkets, books, stuff. They brought it there and they burned it. And then the very next verse says this, and the word of God became powerful and prevailed greatly in their community. David sort of puts it this way in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O Lord. Search me and know me. Show me if there be any way, any wicked way within me and lead me in the path of everlasting life. That word wicked, it sounds really bad, but in the Greek it literally means um, if I'm slightly off kilter. It's not wicked as in evil, you know. God, I'm a max murderer. Can you show me if that's wrong or not? It's not saying that. It's saying, God, if there are ways within me that are just slightly off kilter, Lord. God, if there are things in me that are just stopping the flow of divine power, because it's not a game. It's not a game. God said to Paul, I'm going to use you to drag people from the power of Satan to the power of God. The thought of, of my friends and my neighbours and my community being under the power of Satan is not a nice thought. Satan doesn't get a great rap in the pages of this thing. But I know, 19 years of age, I stood on a roundabout, Pacific Highway, Balna and Kerr Street. Trucks and buses whizzing around me. And I prayed a simple little prayer. I said, Lord, I believe you're there. Come and take my life. Make something good of the mess I've created. Change me. And Jesus did something in my life. He changed me. He forgave me. And he transformed me. And I wouldn't be here right now doing what I'm doing with the family I've got, with the life I've got. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the power of God. And I wouldn't still be standing because I've had people a lot smarter than me that could have easily talked me out of my faith. And I've tried to. I've had experiences that I don't like. I've had things where I've gone, God, I don't understand. Why did that happen? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? God, why did you allow this? Why? God, if you're God and you created the universe, why does blah, blah, blah? I've got all those things in my kit bag. I could use as excuses, but I know this. I had an encounter with the power of God, and he's changed my life. I don't know everybody here today. If you just wouldn't mind closing your eyes for a second, we'll finish up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to drag you up the front of the church. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything at all. This is a private moment between you and God, because that's what faith is. It's between you and God. It's not a matter of us putting a mark on the back of the door because another hand went up. Or When God touches our heart and we give our lives to Jesus, we don't need to be motivated every day. We don't need somebody else to motivate us all the time. People get alongside of us. They'll help us in that journey. But we find something within ourselves because we've connected with God. We want to know him more. Here's the gospel message. Very simple. 
And God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God created us for a relationship with him. We screwed it up by doing our own thing. We turned our back on God. We went our own way. God's in a dilemma. He has justice that he has to uphold and mercy at the same time. What does he do? Here's what he does. Justice says somebody has to pay for every single sin that's ever happened from the beginning of time to the end of time. Everything you've done wrong, every time you've lusted upon uh, the opposite sex, you've thought a bad thought, every time you've stolen something, I don't care if it's a five-cent coin or a motor vehicle or broken into somebody's house, every time you've gossiped, every time you've, you've spoken ill of somebody else. The book of, of James, there's a, book, a writer called James in the New Testament, he says this, he puts it very simply, he says, if you've broken one law of God, you're guilty of breaking all of them. That means every one of us in this room in our own self is an adulterous, thieving, murderous, and the list goes on. That's all of us. None of us are ever going to be good enough. God's got to deal with that. That's the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes to earth. He dies on a cross. He pays the price for your sins. Everything you've ever done wrong was taken care of 2,000 years ago. Some of you in this room have accepted that. Some of you haven't yet. God's justice was upheld because somebody paid the price. But at the same time, his mercy gets upheld because it wasn't you. Because he loves you too much. He doesn't want you to face the punishment and the penalty of your own sin. But you have a choice to make. You can either keep on going through life ignoring God, ignoring that the death of Jesus on the cross, thinking that one day maybe you'll get there on your own merits. I'm telling you, you won't. Or thinking you've got forever to do it. Hey, guess what? I don't know what's going to happen when you leave this place. Life comes and goes like that. We do not have control. It's as simple as crying out to God, saying, Jesus, I accept your death on the cross as having died for me. And then putting your faith in God and making a choice. It's a choice to walk from this moment on with God in relationship. He'll show you what you need to do. He'll speak to you. He'll lead you. You'll never be good enough. Don't sit there thinking, well, I'll break this habit. I'll stop that relationship. I'll do all these things first. No, no, no. If you want to get clean, you jump in a shower with the mud on. You don't go wash your face and hands and then get in the shower. You just get in the shower and the shower cleans you. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but you, you want to open your heart up to God right now, I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing. Just raise your hand in the air and put it down. I'm not asking you to do anything other than that. I'm not going to get you up front. Just put your hand in the air, pull your hand back down. If that's you, just let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Right, yeah. While our heads are bowed, we're all going to pray together. Just pray after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for your love for me. I confess my sin to you now. I've done the wrong thing. And thank you for dying for me. Father, I make a choice from this moment on to live for you, to walk for you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to live this Christian life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right here, those of you that are here, that have been around church long enough, I want you to show the person that put their hand up what's happening in heaven right now according to the Bible. Amen. The Bible, well, you know what, that was pretty tame. The way the Bible describes it about the party that goes on in heaven when somebody gets their heart right with the Lord. Uh, well, much better. Now, let's try again. What, what goes on up there when, we, when someone comes to faith? Okay. 
Praise God. Praise God. That's, that's better. That's better. To that person that put their hand up, let me just encourage you. Uh, if you're comfortable, go and tell somebody the decision you've made. Uh, you can come and chat with me, whatever. Uh, but just, if, just by talking to somebody and activating that. Um, and also, if you don't have a Bible or something, come and let us know. We'd love to get a Bible uh, to you. We'd love to have a bit of a chat with you. We're about to. Don't run off because we've got lunch coming uh, right about now. Lunch is going to come. So please don't go. We want you to hang around and have our sausages. They should be just about ready now. Uh, bless you guys. Have a great week. I'm just going to pray for us before we go. Same prayer we pray every week. Lord, I, I thank you for today, Lord. I pray you would seal in people's hearts the things that you've been speaking. God, continue to challenge us, change us. God, conform us uh, more into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room in the next seven days, give every single one of us the opportunity to tell somebody about the goodness of God, somebody that up to this point doesn't yet know about it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 Bless you guys. Uh, hang around. The, the uh, barbecue stuff's about to come out. And don't forget the XCC guys. Come and have a chat. <laughs>